Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Anybody know what this is? It's called a scale, but some people call it a no-good, dirty, rotten, stinking liar. I have a friend who nicknames theirs Satan. A scale. purpose of a scale is this. It's a standard of measurement to show us how much we weigh. How much do you think I weigh? Let's have some fun with this. So if you're maybe online, you could use the chat section. If you're here, have a thumbs up or thumbs down. Let me start with this. 200 pounds. What do you think? Is it that obvious? It's supposed to be a little harder than that. All thumbs down going on here. Okay, let me try this one. How about uh, 150 pounds? Up, down. Okay, most of you think I'm between 150, 200. You want to know? Well, you're going to have to wait. We're here to learn about this book of Amos. And the book of Amos starts this way. Chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. So we get right at the beginning. Amos was a shepherd. He's a blue-collar, ordinary kind of guy. He never went to seminary to learn how to give sermons or interpret the Bible. He was just doing his shepherding gig when the Spirit of the Lord moved in him. And it might be helpful to know that Amos... He becomes one of the most disliked prophets in all the Bible. Say, well, why? Because he shared a message of warning during a time of prosperity. They didn't like that. It was around 800 years before Jesus. Uzziah was the name of the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Second Chronicles kind of gives us the context of what was going on in Amos's day, and it's important to understand this. Second Chronicles 26, verse 6. He, Uzziah, the king, went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath. That didn't happen very often in the history of Israel. We see that they defeated their nemesis, and they became the unchallenged dominant military power in the region. Big deal, good times. Verse 8, Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he became very powerful. Tributes, money and wealth was flowing in. The economy, it was doing great. Verse 9, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness. They took control of the trade routes through the Middle East, which led to a financial boom. So here's how people back then interpreted seasons of prosperity. They said, well, God must be blessing us. Things are going well, so we must be doing things right. You know, we may not be perfect, but at least we're doing better than our enemies. So Amos... 
he shows up at one of the most sacred cities, a city called Bethel, during one of their national holidays, and he goes in front of a crowd, and he, he just lays out this sermon, and it was a judgment on the nations surrounding them. It was a judgment on their enemies. Well, let's check it out. It starts in verse 5, chapter 1. And this is God speaking through Amos. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the sceptre in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kur, said the Lord. Well, the Israelites, they heard that they liked that message. They hear, well, our enemies, they're going to get it. God's going to go after them. God's going to give them what they deserve. Amen. Preach it, Brother Amos. Next verse, verse 9. This is what the Lord says. Now looking at another one of their neighbors. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom. The people of Tyre, they sent warriors into vulnerable towns and abducted some of the residents and sold them off into slavery. Terrible stuff. So, verse 10, God says, I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. And once again, the Israelites, they're like, yay, you know, preach it, brother Amos. The good word here, verse 13. This is what the Lord says for the three sins of Ammon, another one of their major, their neighboring nations, even for four. I will not relent because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Wow. The Ammonites slaughtered women and they even tore fetuses out of their mother's womb. Dark, dark stuff. Verse 15. Her king will go into exile. He and his officials together, says the Lord. People again, they're like, Amen. Preach it, brother Amos. God is going to come and he's going to give them what they deserve. The Israelites, they realize we aren't perfect, but we're doing better than our neighbors. Well, several years ago, I was going on a backpacking trip and we were headed deep into the Canadian wilderness. And when my buddies and I got to the trailhead, we saw a warning sign. The warning sign, it wasn't a sign like this, you know, not going to be cute little deer. And it wasn't a warning sign like this, and little bunnies hopping around. No, the warning sign at this trailhead was this. That got our attention. So we started to talk. We're like, well, what would happen if an 800-pound Canadian grizzly crossed our path? What would we do? Would we run? Would we climb? Would we play dead? And my buddies, they were kind of sweating this out, but not me, because I knew what I would do. I already had a plan. My plan, here's my plan. My plan was Jason. I invited Jason because I knew I can't outclimb a bear and I can't outswim a bear and I can't outrun a bear, but I sure can outrun Jason. You don't have to be the fastest dog on the track. Just make sure you're not the slowest. That, that's what's going on in the book of Amos. The people of Israel, 
Well, they were doing that kind of thing. They they realized, well, we don't have Jason, but we have Assyria and we have Tyre and we have Ammon. You know what the Israelites called the Ammonites? Well, bear insurance. They're realizing, you know, we're not fully following the Lord, but they felt safe because, hey, at least we're doing better than our neighbors. Been there? You know, I, I realize I'm, I'm not perfect right now, but man, I'm sure doing better than, than that guy. When I think those things, it makes me feel a little bit better. Well, here comes the part of this message that got Amos into a whole lot of trouble. Ready for it? It's chapter 2, verse 4. This is what the Lord says. He's just gone through their neighboring nations, and now we get this for three sins of Judah. That was them. That's where they were living. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. See, now this isn't about their neighbors. Now this is about them. The amen, preach it, brother Amos. Those ended. When Amos shared this, he got pushback. I mean, they're, they're saying, well, Amos, maybe we're getting a little sloppy with some of the commandments. And Amos, maybe, you know, we're getting a little bit lazy with our relationship with God, but we're not them. We're not killing any babies and we're not selling any slaves and we're not bludgeoning any of our children. They are. That's what the nations around us are doing. So God... Why us? Why would you bring judgment on Judah? That was their question, and it's a good question. Are you ready for God's answer? Chapter 7, verse 7. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Well, a plumb line, a plumb line, it's the central image in this passage. You say, well, a plumb line, that's nice, but what is it? Well, a plumb line is something along the lines of this. It's a standard of measurement. So, you think it'd be interesting if uh, if I got on this? Why not? I'll try it. You know what it says? You have great character. Anybody want to scale like this one? Well, it's a standard of measurement. So is this. This. This is basically a plumb line. Plumb line is a string with a weight on the bottom of it. It's a system for measuring things. It's a standard of measurement. And what a plumb line measured, well, it measured if something was plumb, which means it measured if something is perpendicular. Is it straight up and down? So Amos, he brings in this concept of a plumb line. So here's what he's saying. 
Here's what he means with this plumb line. He's saying, you know, you guys, you're doing better than your neighbors, but your neighbors aren't the standard. Your neighbors aren't the plumb line. I mean, your neighbors, they, they may be doing life in a way that, that's way off. Don't compare to them. Don't use them as the standard. Amos is saying there is a standard, and this standard, it's not based upon what everybody else is doing. That's not God's standard. And there's a measure, and the measure, the, the truth, it's not based on popular opinion. There's a standard, and the standard's not Moab, and the standard's not Ammon, and the standard's not Tyre, and the standard's not Jason. The standard's not whatever we see people around us doing. God has a different standard. It's a plumb line. Puts it this way, chapter 7. This is what he showed me, the Lord Almighty standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. What's your standard? Spiritually. Morally, what's your measure? How do you know how you're doing? Who do you compare to? I mean, when it comes to spirituality, what's normal? What, the Ammonites? You know, who are killing their kids and selling their slaves? Is that normal? Is that the standard? Because if that's normal, if that's the standard, I'm doing better than that. Or how about Uncle Joe? I mean, Uncle Joe, he shows up to Mass once a week to cover up what he's done the other six days of the week. Is that the standard? Is that normal? Because if it is, well, I'm doing better than that. Or is the standard someone like Mother Teresa? You know, who, who gives every penny that she has to the poor, who, who dedicated every moment of her life to those who were hurting. Is that normal? Is that the standard? Because I'm not doing better than that. What's the standard? Spiritually, how do we measure? How do we know how we're doing? Who do we compare to? What's normal? God says this to us in Psalm 119, verse 137. It says, You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statues you have laid down are righteous. It's a standard. Well, what's the standard? What's the plumb line? Well, it's not the lifestyle of our peers, but it's the way of this book. The statutes is the way of the Lord. It's not a reflection of our culture. It's a reflection of our Christ. Amos, what he's doing is he's saying, don't compare to, to everyone around you. Compare, well, compare to this. Compare to God's standard. Ephesians chapter 5, he explains his standard this way. Verse 3, but among you... There must not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I read that and think, whoa, if that's the standard, uh uh-oh. Not not good news because Jason's not going to be the only one who comes up short. Me too. An important word of clarification is needed if we're going to really fully understand what God's saying through Amos. When it comes to heaven, when it comes to getting into heaven, well, how good do you have to be? Romans 3.23. I'm going to invite you to read this with me. God's pretty clear here. Join me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody falls short of the God, the glory of God. He said when it comes to getting into heaven, the Bible is consistently clear. We all come up short. We're all too slow. No one's good enough. No one's moral enough. Not Moses, not Peter, not Billy Graham, not you and not me. So how? Second Corinthians 5.21. I invite you. Let's read this together as well. It says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, another name for this, this is the gospel. You know, and I imagine that many of you have heard this. Well, it's important for us to hear it again and again and again. Jesus is God who came here to this earth. He lived a life without any sin. And he offers to be our substitute, to take all of our shortcomings, all of our mess ups, all of our sin. That's why he came. That's why he gave his life on the cross to satisfy justice, to make amends, to pay the penalty, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile. We we can't undo what we've already done. We can't measure up. But he can and he did. And we don't have to pay for it. He just offers that. He gives that to us. See, when we get that, we don't have to spend our lives trying to measure up. So free. We can spend our lives trusting our substitute recognizing he did that for me. He's not against me. He's for me. I trust. I trust him. I trust that he's good. I trust that his ways are good. I trust that his plan is best. I want, I want to follow him. That's that's the gospel, and that's awesome. But this plumb line that we get to in the book of Amos, it's not talking about getting into heaven. It's assessing, is heaven getting into us? That's different. The fancy theological name for what's going on here is sanctification. And sanctification is really asking the question, Am I, I've been saved, you know, I've been, I'm in relationship with Jesus. Now what's next? Am I becoming more like God? We just do a self-assessment. Am I any more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Or the day before, or the week before, or the month before, or the year before? 
Am I? Am I growing closer? Am I getting to be more like my Lord and and like my Savior, following His way? When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, what's normal? What's normal for a person who understands what God has done for them? What's normal for a person whose price has been paid? What's normal for a person whose sin has been forgiven? What's normal for a person whose guilt has been removed? What's normal for them? What's normal for us? People will say, well, I, I, I check into a church service once in a while to, to pay my respects. <laughs> that should not be normal. Well, you know, I, I say a prayer before I eat. I mean, I don't connect with God other times during the day, but I, I try and do it. That, that should not be normal. Well, I, I want the best in my life and for my life. But, you know, I'm kind of indifferent when it comes to the plight of others, each to their own. That should not be normal. I'm grateful that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and when I've done things wrong. But, you know, that person, what they did to me, I just can't let go of that. That should not be normal. What For those who call Jesus Lord, what's what's normal? Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In verse 11, read this with me. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Nothing to do with the darkness. Living life as children of the light. This book of Amos, it's one tough little book. When you think about Amos, I encourage you to think about this. It's so easy to compare. You know, I'm, I'm doing better than Moab. And I'm doing better than Ammon, and I'm doing better than Tyre, I'm doing better than Jason, I'm doing better than, than Shannon. Normal. Normal is not the lifestyle of our peers. And normal is not what everybody else around us is doing. And normal is not a reflection of the culture. Normal isn't the the stereotype of the American churchgoer. Amos, the message of Amos, Amos is saying normal is nothing short of full devotion to following the ways of the Lord. There's a standard. When... I see the the nail prints in his hands instead of mine. And I'm, I'm so moved as to say, you did that for me. My, my games are over. My life is your life. My, this day it is your day. My number one priority in this day is to accomplish your purpose. I want to be a part of your plan. And for me, 
I have to re-up that every day. I start my morning that way because I know I am very prone to, to gauge the success of my day by a different measure. My life, it's your life. This day is your day. My number one priority is to accomplish your purpose. You know what that is? You know what that should be? Normal. That's normal. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.